Uh, so here we go. Here we go. Thanks for being here. We are in a series. We're in a series called The Screw Tape Letters. We're week five. Raise your hand just for a thousand uh, IVE points. That's what we do in youth group. Uh, for a thousand IVE points, if you've been here uh, all four weeks so far. Quite a few of you, quite a few of you, not, uh, not all of you, but I have introduced to you every single week uh, this guy, C.S. Lewis, a.k.a. Clive Staples Lewis. I have a picture of him. This is C.S. Lewis, uh, a.k.a. Jack, named after his dog. Uh, he's an amazing guy. He was born in the late 19th century in Belfast, Ireland. Uh, at 15 years old, he loses his faith, becomes a devout atheist, Later in life, though, he returns to Christianity and becomes one of the most influential writers of the 20th century. He writes, of course, the Chronicles of Narnia, so that's the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, all of that. He writes Mere Christianity, and he writes the book that we've been focusing on in this series called The Screw Tape Letters. So The Screw Tape Letters is our uh, series is based on it's a book, and it's just a collection of letters. It's this whole book, and the letters are from a demon. His name is Screw Tape to his nephew, who is also a demon, named Wormwood. And he's trying to teach his nephew how to destroy the faith of a new Christian. And in the book, the Christian is just called the patient. So C.S. Lewis uh, describes it like this. He says this, The enemy will not see you vanish into God's company without an effort to reclaim you. So uh, a brief disclaimer, and I've given this a couple times. Uh, C.S. Lewis, if you've ever read any of his stuff, he has kind of a difficult writing style. And it doesn't help that most of it was written, you know, three quarters of a century ago. And so sometimes you read it and your brain just stops and you're like, what? I've, I've had numerous people that tried reading the book and your brain just stops. So I have made some modifications to the C.S. Lewis quotes. I believe that I would have uh, um, C.S. Lewis's blessing on it just so that we can understand more what he's saying. But the uh, essence of his quotes are still there. Of course, not everyone, not, not even everyone in this room believes in a literal Satan and a literal demons. I, I, personally, uh, I personally do, but you don't have to in order to uh, enjoy the book. In fact, this book has enjoyed tremendous success even in atheist circles and just talking about kind of the, the traps that befall uh, humanity. So you need to know three characters super briefly. One is Screwtape. He's the uncle. Uh, he's the author of the books. He's the, awesome, uh, he's the awesome demon. Number two, Wormwood. He's the nephew. He's brand new to the job. He doesn't know what he's doing yet. Number three is the patient. He's recently been converted to Christianity, and he's currently being tormented by Wormwood, uh, the nephew. So thus far, the patient, every week we've been following a major life event of the patient. Thus far, the patient has become a Christian. Week one, the patient uh, goes to church. That was week two. The patient goes to war. That was week three. Last week was the patient falls in love. And this week, the patient doubts. The patient doubts. So here's some words. Oh my gosh, I almost didn't play the video clip for you guys. Were you guys like, will you stop talking and play us? Or cool? Okay, so uh, that's a perfect place. The patient doubts. Right where I was meaning to play the clip, turn your attention to the screen. My dear Wormwood, I was delighted to hear from Trip Tweez that your patient has made some very desirable new acquaintances and that you seem to have used this event in a really promising manner. I gather that the middle-aged married couple who called at his office are just the sort of people we want him to know. Rich, smart, superficially intellectual, and brightly skeptical about everything in the world. No doubt he must very soon realize that his own faith is in direct opposition to the assumptions on which all the conversation of his new friends is based. He will be silent 
when he ought to speak and laugh when he ought to be silent. He will assume, at first only by his manner, but presently by his words, all sorts of cynical and sceptical attitudes which are not really his. But if you play him well, they may become his. All mortals tend to turn into the thing that they're pretending to be. Uh, probably the scenes he is now witnessing will not provide material for an intellectual attack on his face. Your previous failures have put that out of your power. But there is a sort of attack on the emotions which can still be tried. It turns on making him feel, when he first sees human remains plastered on a wall, that this is what the world is really like. And that all his religion has been a fantasy. Do not allow any temporary excitement to distract you from the real business of undermining faith and preventing the formation of virtues. Your affectionate uncle, Screwtape. Okay, okay. Screwtape is the best. He's my favorite demon. Okay. Uh, okay, so here's some, uh, I'm going to try to explain it. I've simplified some of the quotes so you can hopefully understand what is going on. Here's what Screwtape says when it comes to doubt. Uh, he says this, I was delighted to hear that your patient has made some very desirable new acquaintances. He says, I gather that the middle-aged married couple who called at his office are just the sort of people we want him to know. Rich, smart, superficially intellectual, and brightly skeptical about everything in the world. He says, this is excellent. No doubt he must very soon realize that his own faith is in direct opposition to all the conversations he has with his new friends. He will be silent when he ought to speak and laugh when he ought to be silent. He will adopt all sorts of cynical and skeptical attitudes which are not really his. But if you play him well, they will become his. Humans tend to turn into the thing they pretend to be. And he says, this will open the patient's mind to doubt. He says, but, but don't get too excited, nor think that the best method, I hope you're following this, or, no, think that the best, nor think that the best method is an intellectual attack on the patient's faith. He's saying it's not an intellectual thing. He says, the only thing that matters at all in the mind is moving the patient nearer to the enemy or nearer to us. Our real business is undermining faith and preventing the formation of virtues. And he says, it is the virtues that become habits that are really fatal to us. Okay, so Screwtape, when he's talking about doubt in his patient, uh, Screwtape, the demon, he understands that the real battle when it comes to doubt is not in the intellect, but it's in the preventing the formation of virtues. Another way of saying that would be this, preventing the formation of habits and the formation of deeds. I have a quote uh, by who we've decided is our crazy uh, wild uncle of the faith, Brennan Manning, because he's such a genius, but he's just kinda, he just kind of says what he wants. So here we go. He says this. When I get honest, I admit that I'm a bundle of paradoxes. wonder if anyone could uh, identify with this. I believe and I doubt. I hope and get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good, and I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I am trusting and suspicious. I am honest and I still play games. Aristotle said I am a rational animal. I say I am an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. <laughs> he says this, to live by grace means to acknowledge my whole life story, the light side and the dark. 
In admitting my shadow side, I learn who I am and what God's grace means. A saint is not someone who is good, but someone who experiences the goodness of God. One more quote, it's this. Like anyone can even know that, says Kip in Napoleon Dynamite. You remember that? <laughs> Napoleon says, this is pretty much the worst video ever made. He's like, like anyone could even know that, Napoleon. <laughs> I liked it. Like anyone could even know that. Okay, Screwtape says this. Our real business is undermining faith and preventing the formation of virtues. So I want to talk uh, tonight about faith and doubt. And this has turned into kind of a, I never know what kind of message I'm writing until I'm about halfway through. I'm like, dang, this is a weird message. But uh, this message in particular tonight is real casual and kind of homey and kind of old school. I've got a lot of scripture. So it's like an old school casual Bible study. So put your thinking caps on, but it's just kind of uh, fun. Faith and doubt. I'm hoping uh, that tonight is going to be some good news uh, for the doubters in the room. Um, and I include myself in that. Faith has never been, for me personally, faith has never been super easy for me. Am I the only, am I the only one who, who feels that? I, I have married Jordan, and just for some reason, the way that her mind works, she's just not a doubter. It's always, like Faith has always just come really easy to her. It's always been really easy for her to believe and to put her actions behind her beliefs. But I have been always a very brainy guy. My parents could tell you this. I think it's one of the reasons that I can like work on messages like that. I'm very good at debunking my own points. So I'm just very brainy and I'm very uh, like contradictory a lot of times. Like when I'm sitting there listening to a sermon, I'm like thinking about all the things like all the holes in the sermon sometimes. But then you see people and it just seems like their faith is so easy. And it makes it a lot worse too when we live in this Christian culture where we've pretty much decided that doubt, this idea about doubt is somehow some sort of uh, sin. That, and, that, and that faith is like this big all or nothing proposition. We have this huge grouping of all of these beliefs and it's all or nothing. You either believe all of these Christian beliefs or just you're choosing to doubt. And it's kind of weird, right? Choosing to doubt. I don't think that's exactly how doubt works. I don't think you just choose to doubt something. I don't think you just choose to believe something. It's like there's people, did you know this? There's people who think the moon landing was a hoax. People who honestly believe that. And so if they were to come in here tonight and put a gun to your head and say, hey, believe that the moon landing was a hoax or I'm going to blow your brains out. Well, you might say that you believe that, but you don't believe that. That's not really how belief works. You can't just choose to doubt something or choose uh, to believe it, at least to me. And so it gets it kind of uh, troubled for somebody like me who's really brainy um, because so much of the Christian community, and I don't mean this one, I just mean the Christian community as a whole, we view faith as psychological certainty, we're just really confident in our head and we know, we're just confident in our brain that faith is something that you conjure up uh, ultimately in your head. And if you doubt at all, well, then you're spoiling the magic of the Christian faith. You know what I mean? If you doubt at all, well, then your prayers don't get answered and God's not pleased with you and you know, you're not accepted by him. If you doubt, like you're ruining the whole magic of the Christian faith. And I think some people's minds are they're, they're, just, they're just gifted with childlike faith. Can anybody, can anybody raise their hand and honestly say, it's like, I don't have a hard time believing. I just, I just have a simple, basic faith. Can anybody, anybody uh, agree with that? 
There's a few people. And, and then there's other people. There's other people who are always questioning and doubting. Is anybody, anybody like that in here? There's a lot of you that did not raise your hand. It's fine. There's only two choices. <laughs> but I include, my, I include myself in that as somebody who's always questioning and doubting. So I have a theory that I want. I made really cheesy slides. Two really cheesy graphics. That's how much I love you guys. I made possibly the worst graphics I've ever made. I have a new theory that I'm wanting to, to give you. And I think many people in their thinking, when they think of faith and doubt, they think of it kind of like this, where here you've got, you've got faith on one side and you've got, is that a horrible graphic? I know. Just wait till you see the next one. It's even worse. Uh, faith is on that side and doubt is on that side. And there's like this solid dividing wall. And you as a believer, you're either on one side or the other. And if you have faith, then you won't doubt. And if you doubt, well, then you always have to live with the shame of not having enough faith. I think, I think maybe a more accurate description of what I think is the truth uh, is this graphic. And it's this where, uh, where doubt, for a lot of people, doubt is a part of our faith. And you might be thinking, whoa, that went, went too far. I'll explain it, but doubt is part of our faith. In our faith, for a lot of us, there is a place, there's room to doubt. And I'm hoping this is encouraging to people who doubt. And maybe if you've never doubted, maybe you just have simple faith. Well, now you're going to know how to pray for some of us and understand some of us who have a hard time believing uh, new things and and always wrestle uh, with the Christian faith. Because again, not everyone wrestles with doubt. Some people have simple faith, but some people do doubt. Here's what I want you to write down if you're taking notes, and it's this. Your doubt does not discredit your faith. Your doubt does not discredit your faith. Let's please remember that it was doubting disciples that changed the world. They were faithful disciples too, but so you can be both. You can be a faithful disciple, and you can also be a doubting disciple, and you can be both at the same time. But many people believe this idea about faith being the opposite of cert, like faith being the opposite of doubt kind of theory. You know what I mean? It's either faith or it's doubt. This is the enemy and this is what we're going. And if you're in this camp, well, you're just choosing to not have the right amount of faith. There's actually a lot of scripture. As I told you, I've got a lot of scripture tonight. Uh, there's some scriptures that kind of back up this kind of thinking when it comes to doubt. Here's a good example. Mark chapter 11 Jesus says this in verse 23, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that uh, what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Verse 24, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So basically the idea here uh, when it comes to prayer, maybe somebody's sick, maybe you need something, maybe you're depressed, whatever it is. If you pray and you believe, what you have to do is you have to picture it in your heart. And if you can picture it in your heart and not doubt, well, then it's going to happen. Here's another one, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. You all know this scripture. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You all probably know that. At least that's what the King James says. And I think that's a weird scripture, if I'm being honest. Like evidence, Faith faith is evidence of things not seen. Like, I'm not opposed to evidence. Jesus loves uh, evidence. John the Baptist, when he's losing his faith, the Bible says that he goes and he reminds John the Baptist of all the miracles 
uh, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus, uh, when he presents himself, it says this, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So, like, apologetics are incredibly important. You know, we're not called to an irrational faith. But this, this is idea about faith being evidence is kind of weird. Wouldn't you agree? How is faith evidence? It's like, well, I believe. I believe in God. Oh, really? Well, what's your evidence? Well, the evidence is that I believe. I'm my own evidence. Like, that's pretty weak evidence. That's not really uh, what evidence is. In the Greek, words, as you probably know, can mean multiple things. So this word evidence, it also means this, and it's a much better word for this, conviction. The conviction of things not seen. That's why almost all new translations will say it like this. This is from the ESV. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So what he's saying is this. Faith is this conviction that leads you to act, but faith is not the absence of doubt. Hebrews uh, chapter 11, it's called the Hall of Faith. It's a really famous chapter in, in Scripture, and it goes through and it lists kind of the heroes of faith. Here are the highest level of people who are faithful in all of Christian history. And I think what's really cool about it is this, that a lot of the heroes of the faith actually had lots of doubts. You can think of, uh, think of Abraham. He says this, he, he believes God. He says, I believe, and it was counted as righteousness. But later, he basically says, man, God's taken too long. I'm gonna make this happen myself. But, uh, but he doubts, but it doesn't discredit his faith. Sarah is listed there. You know, when she hears God's promise that she's gonna have a child, you know what she does? She laughs. That's how much, that's how much uh, doubt she has. She actually laughs at the promise of God, but she lived by faith. And she'll forever be known as a hero of the faith. Jacob, he doubts so much that he tries to make God's promise happen. He tries to go steal a blessing. Moses is listed there. God comes to Moses and says, Moses, I choose you. And Moses instantly doubts his wisdom. He says, God, I don't think you chose the right guy. I think that was a really stupid choice. But Moses, get this, it's not about not having doubt. He does the right thing. And that's why he's counted as being someone who's uh, full of faith. So faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is being faithful even when you doubt. Faith is being faithful even when you doubt. James, here's another scripture. James chapter 1, verse 6. Get this one. It's a doozy. James 1, 6 through 8. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind, That person, get this, that person, the person who doubts, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So if you have questions about the Christian faith, this scripture will make you feel like a million bucks. It's like, it's like, man, you're unstable. Just quit asking questions. If you quit asking questions or God's not going to give you anything, don't ask questions. Of course, that's what, not what the scripture is saying. One of the main ways that we misunderstand scripture is we take it out of context. We just grab one verse and we don't know what it's talking about. Let's go to the verse before, which is James 1.5, and it says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Wow, so that scripture that we misquote all the time is actually talking about wisdom. It's talking about God giving us wisdom. It's not talking about God giving us like fancy cars. It's talking about when you want wisdom, you can ask from God. And if you need wisdom, you can go to God and you don't have to be concerned that he's not going to give it to you. You don't have to doubt that God's going to give you wisdom. He wants to give you 
wisdom. And you don't have to be, basically what it's saying is this, hey, don't be divided in your loyalty where you're getting half wisdom from God and half wisdom from man. He says that because you're double-minded and you become unstable in everything that you do. The NLT, the translation, a translation that I love, it explains this a thousand times better than the translation I just read. And it says this, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as the wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. That's a very different thing than saying, man, if you doubt, like God's not gonna give you anything. It's saying this, hey man, get your wisdom from God. James isn't getting all huffy about people who doubt. James is getting all huffy about where we get our wisdom from. And so you can, of course, see this in his whole book, James chapter three. He talks about heavenly wisdom that comes from above and earthly wisdom that, that's demonic. And he's saying that kind of wisdom, you've got this hybrid of heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom. He says, well, you're unstable and you're double-minded. And so, so Jesus, along with the apostles, they all understood, and Jesus understood that faith is an action. Faith is an action. Because think about Jesus, and when he talks about faith, he would see people's actions, and you know what he would do? He would say, I, I see their faith. It's a weird thing. Like, he sees people's actions, and he sees their faith. Uh, an example of that is Matthew chapter 9. Of course, there's these friends, and they bring their uh, friend who can't walk in on a mat to Jesus. And in verse 2, it says this, some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. So what did Jesus see? What did Jesus see in this scenario? Did he see some inner psychological state in these guys that they had no doubt? No. In fact, in this particular story, it didn't matter if they had doubt. It didn't matter if they were totally certain. What he saw was them doing the right thing. And, and it, that was counted as faith. Faith is measured by your faithfulness. That's the faith of Scripture. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 17. I hope this is helping the doubters. It helped me when I was preparing it because I can be a doubter. Uh, Matthew 28, 16 through 17. This is my last example, but this is like the prologue, if you will, to the Great Commission. And it says this, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. When the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Or yeah, then the 11 disciples went to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. They worshiped him, but some doubted. I think that's kind of a sad verse. I don't know if you can see why it's sad. It's just one word that's kind of sad in there, and it's this, 11. Because up to this point, it's always been 12. This is the, this is the time when the 11th uh, go, there's this community of believers, this 11, there's a community in crisis. Judas has, has betrayed them and betrayed Jesus and killed himself. And uh, Matthew is wanting to remind us in this verse that, well, verse that the remaining 11, well, they're not exactly perfect either. Because, you know, Judas betrayed Jesus, uh, Peter denied Jesus, and all of the disciples abandoned Jesus. And I just think it's significant for us to see that they worshiped but doubted. See, they did both. They worshiped and they doubted. Their doubt didn't discredit their faith. Their doubt didn't discredit their faith. And you know, like for me, I, I just think about me, David Eifert. 
Uh, I think some people are going to relate to this and some people maybe not at all, but I have always been somebody who's just full of questions. Always. I've been somebody who's just full of a thousand questions. There's a lot going on in my brain all the time. And I, I, can't, I can't always shut it up. When I first started becoming really interested in the Bible, I think I had turned 18, and me and my friend Luke, we just decided that we loved the Bible. And I don't know if we loved Jesus that much at that point. What we really loved is we just loved being weird and, you know, asking weird questions of the Bible. You know what I mean? We just like talking about revelation and like, oh, what do you think? You know, or like talking about the universes. And we just, we just loved all that kind of stuff. But I was able to come up with all these weird questions about the Bible. I'm like, well, have you ever thought of this? Have you ever thought of this? And I was super blessed by that kind of questioning about the Bible. But then I would come to youth group uh, here at the church with all of these amazing ideas. And I quickly found that not everyone was blessed by my weird doubts as I was. You know what I mean? Like I'd come, I'd come to youth group and say, well, have you ever thought that maybe Satan is the good guy? Have you ever thought the only reason that we think he's the bad guy is because we're reading God's side of the story? And maybe Satan's actually the good guy and he's tied up somewhere and we should go get him and he's the real good guy and God's the bad guy. Have you ever thought about that? I'm like, no, I've never thought, like my wife has never thought that. I've thought that. <laughs> but it's just, it's just who I am and it's who I've always been. I carry my questions with me wherever I go. I do. Everywhere I go, I carry my questions with me. It's just part of how I'm wired. I'm, I'm somebody who asks a lot of questions. It doesn't have anything to do with Christianity. It just has to do with me. You know, it's just, it's just who I am. If I decided to become a Buddhist or if I decided to become a Muslim or an atheist, I would bring my doubts with me. I would begin to doubt their faith as well. And if you could think about it like this, I actually doubt the things that I have faith in. I doubt, like, I don't doubt the things that I don't believe. I just don't believe them and I don't worry about it. But it's the things that I really do believe that I end up wrestling with and struggling with. And I freak myself out in my own brain because I think, my God, I don't even know if I believe in God. Like, I probably shouldn't be telling you this as a pastor, but man, there are just doubts in me all the time. This is just part of my Christian faith. I carry them with me everywhere I go. And I doubt the things that I have faith in. I doubt the things that are really important to me. That's why, that's why I think about it, because it's important. And it's true also in uh, small things in my life, too. My wife knows when I, when, when I want to shop for, like, a big product, it's like a big pain in the butt, because I decide I might want a, a system, uh, some, sort of, some sort of thing, and then, and then I talk myself out of whether or not I want it. And so I'll just stay there all day. I'll just be like, maybe I do want it. Maybe I don't want it. I'm currently deciding if I want a video game system. I shouldn't tell you this because I might not want it. Now y'all are thinking I'm going to want it because I might not. But I told my wife, I told my wife that I'm thinking about maybe wanting a new video game system. All the nerds are nodding their heads, Brad. Yes. They're like, yes, PS4. No, Xbox One. They're so passionate. Uh, so anyways, I think I might want one of those, but then I'll spend the next four weeks saying like, I don't need a video game system. Like, I'm just going to play it for like three weeks and then I'm going to be done with it. And maybe I can play games on my computer and not play them on, you know, it's like, I don't know. And then Jordan's on TV. I don't even know if I'm going to want to take over the TV, but I'll just do this in my head over and over and over and over. I just carry my doubts with me everywhere I go. Um, another one is we have two dogs. My wife and I, we have Mater and Pippa. 
So Jordan named both of the dogs. And that's a blessing to me. Because if I was to name the dogs, I would probably think like, well, maybe we should call it Larry. And then it's like, maybe that's not a good name. Maybe it is a good name. And I just, I can, I can find myself just in this cycle of doubting myself and doubting the way that I think. And some of you guys probably think I'm totally nuts. And some of you guys are like, yeah, that's literally all I do at home. I just doubt myself all the time. Jordan decides how to decorate the house. It's a tremendous blessing because I might buy a piece of art and then I'd have it at home and I'd be like, I hate that. It's a horrible piece of art. Just totally hideous. It's crazy. Uh, me and Jane, me and Jane, I don't know, maybe a year ago, we were talking about psychics and she had seen a psychic on TV. She was convinced was real. What's the name? The one on TLC. Blonde lady. Teresa. Okay. So she was telling me and she's like, yeah, Jordan was, Jane was telling me, she's like, man, this is real. There is real spiritual stuff. And I'm just like, whatever. Like I automatically go to, it's totally bogus. That's what my automatically, I instantly doubt anything that has to do with palm reading or psych. I just think it's all totally bogus always because I'm just an incredible doubter. It's easy for me to say like, yeah, they're just scammers. You know what I mean? That's easy uh, for, me to, for me to be. That's, that's always going to be where I come. I always go to doubting. I'm always a doubter. Uh, and I believe, I believe in the miraculous. I do. I believe in, I believe in um, fingers growing back. I believe in limbs growing back. Cancer being healed. I believe in all of that stuff. Blind eyes being opened. I believe in all of that stuff. But if I'm being honest with you guys, just because we're a close-knit family, when I hear that kind of stuff, I instantly doubt. I instantly doubt. If somebody says, well, you know, you know, in Africa, people are being raised from the dead, I instantly doubt it. That's just who I am. I'm always somebody uh, who doubts. And in the same way, I choose Christ and I doubt. I do. But I'm a man of faith. I am. And it, you can be both. It's not a contradiction for you to be somebody who doubts and still be a person of faith. Your doubt does not discredit your faith. John chapter six, there's this story. Jesus is, uh, there's all these people. There's like thousands of people. And Jesus starts doing this weird sermon on like eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And people are just traumatized by it. They're like, oh, okay, that's a little too weird. And so they all take off. They all decide this is, this is nasty. So then Jesus is just there with the 12. And he says this to them, well, are you gonna leave me too? And they say, they say this, well, where, where would we go? And they're not, they're not saying, man, we were, we were pumped about that sermon. They're not saying, that was awesome. I love that you said that about drinking your blood and like scared off all of our followers. That was, nailed it. <laughs> Best sermon I've ever heard. <laughs> it's like back to the 12. They were spending years developing this following in one weird sermon. They all leave. So he's not saying that like he's pumped about what it is, but, but their actions, it wasn't, it wasn't their lack, it wasn't something that was happening in their brain that made these men uh, faithful people. It was their actions. It was their actions that demonstrated their faith. Your doubt does not discredit your faith. Your doubt, and just be freed from it, man. If you're somebody who doubts and in the middle of the night, you're like, man, I don't even know what I believe about that stuff. I don't even know what I think about healing anymore, man. Like, like I just, I'm just freaked out because I thought I understood healing and now I don't know what I believe about. And so, man, maybe I just don't have enough faith. 
Maybe I'm, just, maybe I'm just a doubter and I'm doing something wrong. Listen, your doubt does not discredit your faith. And for a lot of us, the fact that we do doubt means that we really believe it, means that we're really, we really think it's important, important enough to think about, important enough to uh, wrestle with. Uh, can I get the band to come up? Uh, I think for some of us, yeah, like I said, the fact that we wrestle with the Christian faith I don't know if anybody else ever wrestles with the Christian faith the way I do, but for some of us, the fact that we wrestle with the Christian faith means that we do take it seriously and that we do think it's important and we do uh, believe, but there's just this part of us, it's part of who we are to be doubters. Some of you guys probably think this is the weirdest thing ever, but just know that there's people, if you have just a simple faith, God bless you, that's an amazing blessing, but just know that the person on the right side or the left side of you, it doesn't come so easy to them. You know, and believing that there's a God who, you know, and you like read the Old Testament and the accounts of creation and, you know, the ark, and it just seems like super far off for a lot of people. And they're like, man, I want to believe, but I, I just doubt. Just know this, that your faith is measured by your faithfulness, not by your lack uh, of doubt. Uh, it, it's just, it's a, think, about, think about it like this. this, is a weird analogy, but a lot of us, when we walk down the aisle, to get married. Some people are just like, man, this is the happiest day of my life. This is so amazing. This is the first day of the rest of my life. It's so amazing. I can't believe I get to marry this person. And then there's some of us, probably some of us men who are walking down the aisle thinking like, oh my God, like what am I, what am I doing? Like, I don't, I don't even know if I like this girl. I'm so freaked out. You know, it's like, I don't know if I like, do I, you know, do I like her family enough? Do I, you know, do I need to give it another six years in the case of me and Jordan? Did we, did we, you know, not wait long enough? And this is going on in our mind and we're, we're just smiling, but we're just walking, but we're still walking. But it's amazing that both of those types of people get married. You know what I mean? And they both commit and they both have successful marriages and it's the exact same in the Christian faith. And in this room, there's both of these types of people. I think it's really amazing. I think it's amazing that we have people who have been blessed with this simple faith. You can just trust God and it's not an issue. And there's some people where we just really have to work for it. We just have to push through. And we don't want to encourage doubt. Doubt's not the thing that we're going for, but we make room for people who doubt. And it's not, it's not, neither one is better because doubt does not discredit faith. So whether you're a a simple faith kind of person, or maybe you're more of a, a reflective, let's put it nicely, like me, you're more of a reflective person, what really matters is your faithfulness. What really matters is your faithfulness. Faith is not a brain thing. Faith is not a brain thing. We all know this. James tells us this, that faith without works, that's meaningless. It doesn't even mean anything. Faith without works, that's it's like, there's no such thing. It's not just a thing that you think in your brain and you have faith. Faith without works is meaningless. Faith shows itself through works. Faith is measured by faithfulness. I'm actually going to close uh, tonight with a quote by my amazing friend, Josh Eden. He quoted, he said this, I thought it was really profound. He said it at internship in 2013 to like 10 kids. Probably nobody wrote it down, but I wrote it down. And I thought it was really good. He says this. The strength of your faith is not measured by the absence of doubt, but by the faithfulness of your life in the face of doubt. The strength of your faith is not measured by the absence of doubt, but by the faithfulness of your life 
in the face of doubt. So as we close tonight, we're going to take communion as we always do. And just no matter if you're a simple faith person or if you're a doubter like me, Jesus invites you to his table nonetheless. No matter if you, no matter if it's always come easy for you or if you've had to work for it all along the way, he invites you to his table to receive him and receive the gift of new life. Because it's never been about you being anything. It's never been about you being full of faith enough or good enough. It's just about him. It's just about him being enough for you. So we come to the table of Jesus and we receive him. And he abides in us and we abide in him. So the band's gonna play. They're gonna pass out communion and then I'll close us out in communion together. Written in a billion skies Speaking to this heart of mine All that I am with all creation Hanging on every word that you've spoken It will not be shaken Clinging for life to all your promise Speaking to this heart of mine, all that I am with all creation, hanging on every word that you've spoken, it will not be shaken. I'm clinging for life to all your promise, hanging on every word that you say. people here, myself included, we don't really follow the church calendar, but I just wanted you to know that for millions of people, millions of Christians around the world today, this is the first day of Advent. And so that's four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and this is where we anticipate uh, the coming of the Messiah. And this is the time where we're expressing our longing and needing for a Savior. So even even as somebody who doesn't really... follow the church calendar, maybe even as much as I should, I think it's cool for me to be in that place in the next four weeks. And I thought it would be appropriate to read uh, from the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, I don't have it on the screen, so I'm just going to read it to you. It's a little prayer, but I hope you can maybe just turn your heart towards God. And um, tonight, uh, as we think about who we're called to be, that maybe this could just become your prayer uh, as I read it aloud, and then we'll take communion. It says this, Father, we pray for your holy church that we may be one. Grant that every member of the church may truly and humbly serve you 
that your name may be glorified by all people. We pray for all the bishops and priests and deacons and pastors that they may be faithful ministers to your word. We pray for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world that there may be justice and peace on earth. Give us grace to do your will in all that we undertake that our works may find favor in your sight. Have compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble, that they may be delivered from their distress. We praise you for your saints who have entered into joy, and we pray that we may also come to share in your heavenly kingdom. Therefore, Jesus, we remember your death, and we proclaim your resurrection, and we await your return. We remember your death, we proclaim your resurrection, and we await your return. And to you tonight, my brothers and sisters, Jesus is saying this, this is my body that's broken for you, and this is my blood that's poured out for you. So let's eat the bread and drink from the cup together. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in here tonight. Those people who have simple faith and those who who tend to doubt just like I do. Father, we, we remember your faithfulness. Help us to remember that it's not about just something that's happening in our brains. It's about us having conviction that causes us to act. Help us to be faithful people. Even, even when we doubt, help us to be faithful people. Even when we're afraid, help us to be faithful people. Even when we're confused, help us to be faithful people. Filled with your Holy Spirit. Empowered to live the life that you've called us to live. We thank you, Father, that it's not about us doing everything right in our lives or certainly in our brains. It's just about you and how beautiful you are and us receiving you. And tonight we receive you as if for the first time. And we say thank you for that. It's by your grace that we could even be here. And we're grateful for that. So we say thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Everybody said.